Hello and welcome to Florida Basketball Hour. I am Neil Blackman with Eric Fawcett, GatorCountry.com. Eric, uh, I feel like it's been a week and maybe the slowest news week we've had in a while. I think so, and I mean the the bar is is fairly high for the news that has happened over the last uh, the last few weeks, whether transfers, coaching changes, uh, Keontae Johnson, all that. So uh, I'd say I guess where we were due for it um, had to happen eventually, I suppose. Yeah, and I think no better time than to just rock out a listener question, Bonanza, to close our series of season review shows. Eric and I are going to do uh, player grades, um, starting with Trey Mann, and we'll do Trey Mann first, and then I think what we'll do is Trey Mann and Colin Castleton, the All-SEC players first, and then uh, go into listener questions and come back to the rest. Does that sound reasonable? Yeah, that sounds uh, that sounds like a good time. All right, so what's your letter grade for Trey Man? My letter grade for Trey Man, ooh, uh, I think it's got to be an A. I uh, while I would love to uh, to push it even even higher than that, I think I have to go A. I, I, I think again, I, I I feel like people have really taken Trey for granted. Honestly, uh, I, I think part of that was looking at, you know, when was the last time that the Gators have had a, a score like that? And it's like, man, you've got to go uh, a long ways back. And I, I think for that reason, it's it just shows just how special of a score Trey Mann was. And then I think that uh, uh, you add in uh, the defense that uh, that you, you kind of talked about when you first said that he was your defensive MVP. And uh, yeah, that's uh, that's an A for me. Yep. No argument for me. I mean, he shot 40 percent from three, a 12% improvement on his freshman year. And I think if you just start with that number and go across the board, you see just a player that, that took tremendous strides, got after it, was a team leader. Um, you know, I thought just that was just great stuff. So uh, Colin Castleton, um, I'll start with my letter grade for him, and I, I'm going to go with A-. minus. I would have liked to see – Colin finished the season a little stronger than he did. Obviously a tremendous game against Virginia Tech, kind of a, a record-setting type game against Virginia Tech. Um, but whether or not he was hurt, Eric, or what the issue was, there were some consistency issues, particularly against teams with a little more physicality underneath Yeah, that's fair. I, I, I had a B plus, and I think the part of that is uh, maybe not – his fault even that he that I didn't uh, give him an A uh, or an A minus I should say uh, just because I, I think if we're just looking at the player's body of work what they did this year um, for me it's a B plus but I, I feel like in his role it was definitely an A minus I just think that the way that Florida maybe used him at times I, I, I didn't love and, and maybe didn't set him up the best to feature him uh, so for a whole body of work I would say I'd say B plus uh, but uh yeah, I think if, if Florida kind of found a way to, to space the floor better for him and give him some some more angled post-ups versus him having to catch the ball a little bit further out, I, 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 I think he could very well have been, a, been an A-. minus. And looking at the shot blocking, looking at some of his, uh, some of his offensive games, uh, could have definitely been up on the, on the A grade. But yeah, for me, it was just a little bit of the way Florida used him, made his kind of body of work to me a B plus. And then uh, I'll also say just like something you kind of alluded to, he definitely a really handled um, business against some smaller players. Uh, he did, uh, did have some 
trouble when he took on some guys his own size. And there was a couple of those matchups where where I wish he was able to give a little bit more. But hey, nothing wrong with a with a B plus or or an A minus. There's no question. Let's let's do one more kind of Colin related discussion real quick before we transition to listener questions. And we got this uh, Chayon Kai as says Neil Bro, you own that IOKOW guy in that debate. I, look, what I appreciated about Neil Shulman was that um, I thought he was prepared. I thought that it's his podcast, and he had me on to present an alternative viewpoint, uh, which I think. Right now, we kind of live in a. I don't. Not, don't interpret this as political. We live in a world that is altogether too polarized and afraid of healthy debate. Um, and I think that makes that good that he had me on, and and I was glad he was on. One thing we talked about on the show uh, was I'm not certain that. Like I think Florida really needs to get back to their strong defensive culture the first four seasons of the Mike White era, Eric. So let's talk about that because you had the best rim protector in the SEC. Um, where are you on how they use Cassison defensively? Uh, well, I still think uh, the fact that they uh, – sorry, I, my, my brain is just totally in another place. I just totally imagine – for if you saw that Josh fight uh, that that took place, I'm just imagining now a Neil fight, but it's just all uh, Gator podcasters slash writers named Neil, and you, I think all Neils should get together for for a Neil podcast. Um, but uh, uh, in terms of how these Colin Castellan defensively, I, I think once, uh, like you kind of alluded to, someone who uh, is one of the best rim protectors in the SEC, uh, to me, it just would have made so much sense to drop him in pick and rolls, allow him to stay in the paint a little bit, and be a primary stopper there down low and, and and not have them kind of strung out uh hedging and having to recover so uh, that wasn't always great um i i didn't love that usage um as well as even the zones that they chose to play uh doing three twos where he would be more in a position to have to close out to the corners uh once again i just think you've got to look at like hey if, if colin castleton is our guy defensively which i really think you know well i guess you you like Trey Mann might have been the best defender. I think you could make a case for for Colin Castleton. If not, I think maybe Castleton's your second best defender. But if you're like, okay, we are our center is a strong defensive player. Uh, let's build our defense around that. It would not be, you know, my idea of let's have him hedge out, stretch him out. Um, I'd be looking at how can we keep this guy in the paint? How can we keep him protecting the rim? And how can we funnel guys to him? So. So, I mean, I don't think the usage of him defensively was egregious or horrible or anything like that, uh, but I don't know if it was, like, the best usage of his defensive skills. Yeah, I kind of think that. And one thing I wonder is if with C.J. Felder and, you know, kind of his length and with uh, perhaps Keontae Johnson, if if they can definitely leave him uh, lower more consistently next season. It seems like a natural thing to do. We will find out. Uh, what's up to Nick De La Torre, who has uh, popped in to say hello. So, hey, Nick, uh, always good to see you. Um, you know, it, it's an interesting debate and one we can have much of the offseason, but it kind of seems like a good way to pivot into listener questions. We'll take one from the chat first from Jay Levy 34 who should Florida's number one target in the 2022 recruiting class be? So I, I kind of think it should be Cam Whitmore, um, who is a top 50 player from Maryland as a 6'6 wing. 
um, you know, I saw a piece today. It was like the staff is telling him that he, uh, he reminds them of Keontae Johnson. And like, you know, I guess if Florida's recruiting someone, that's what you tell a kid. Uh, I think that's great. I watched him on tape. Like, I'll tell you this. I didn't see Keontae shooting the way this kid shoots when Keontae was at Oak Hill. Um, but, uh, you know, maybe, maybe Keontae, we, we all know Keontae can shoot pretty well. Uh, so uh, th- I also don't know if Whitmore is quite as explosive off the bounce as Johnson, which by the way, I don't think is necessarily like, that's not an egregious thing to, to use the word Eric just used. <laughs> like it's not a crime, um, but uh, certainly a very talented and explosive wing. Um, and I think a guy that assuming Kawasi Reeves is a two year player, which is a assumption, um, you know, would be a guy that you'd be excited to have two players of that caliber on the floor together. Yeah, I, that's a good one. I mean, you definitely see the physicality a little bit. Like, I, I guess when you look at, you know, like what is Keontae Johnson as a basketball player, you think um, probably like athleticism first. Um, and then you kind of think maybe physicality second and 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 kind of rebounding and then maybe shooting third. Well, I, we're not totally sure if the, you know, that high end athleticism is there. I mean, hey, it's probably not. There's just not many players that are that athletic, uh, but he does have that physicality. I mean, he just was absolutely bullying kids in, in, in everything I, I saw. Uh, so that was pretty fun. I, I mean, that's uh, just to see. And, and, and again, I do think he's probably a little bit bigger than Keontae Johnson. I don't know what he's listed at if it's six, five, like Keontae, or if it's a little bit, a little bit bigger, but I think maybe he'll do a little bit longer. So maybe he's not as explosive, but he's a little bit longer. And then, um, definitely has the reputation of a shooter. Um, I didn't really, you know, watch enough to, to find out, but, uh, I can, you know, I can, I can see the comparisons and I can see hey, if you're recruiting the guy, um, yeah, for sure. I'd, I'd for sure look him in the eye and say like, Hey, you, you could be our next Keontae Johnson, whether or not that's one for one, uh, maybe we'll find out, uh, whether it's in Florida or, or somewhere else, but, uh, you know, I don't know if I want to, um, uh, pander, I guess, to the, to the football crowd, but, uh, but how about Trey Donaldson and see if you can get a guy who, who, you know, might put sports, but you know, I, I, I joke slightly. Um, but at the same time, I think what most interests me, I, I guess, is, uh, what, what point guard is Florida going to take in this class? And, and do I know that they're going to take uh, a high school point guard? Uh, no, I definitely don't. I mean, Hey, maybe they get another, you know, they fill it with transfers, all that. But again, looking at who Florida has kind of, uh, targets kind of, yeah, these, these speedy defensive minded point guards. Um, so I'd say that's the position, um, that I'm kind of most looking at of, of, of intrigue, um, who exactly that could be that, that Florida that I think, or that I think is, is most important for Florida to land. You, you know, I'm not, I'm not totally sure, but, uh, but I think that's going to be like the, the idea of like who I'm looking at, uh, with interest. Yeah, so that's a great question. And I think, um, you know, Florida's going to have a lot of spots open. So uh, that's going to be, you know, it, it's interesting. That that discussion is going to expand, and uh, they're talking about ending the no contact um, at the end of May here if, if numbers continue to look promising. So uh, getting kids on campus has always been kind of an advantage for this staff. Um it's one thing to see Zoom videos of palm trees and sunshine and swimming pools. Uh, it really is quite a different thing to bring a kid down and 
and have them see it for themselves. And, and I know a couple players that have committed to Florida that got to Gainesville's campus and came in like March and left somewhere where it was cold and gray and saw the campus and were like, Hey man, it's 78 degrees the first weekend of March and people are going to the pool, like sign me up. So, uh, you know, I do think that will help um, a little bit. We are going to come, you know, what? let's just stick with the, let's stick with the stream yard comments for a minute. So LSHC, another good question. Perfect for a season review finale as well. How do we get home culture back? You want to, you want to tackle this one, Eric? Well, I was going to throw it to you. I think this has kind of been your brand a little bit more than mine. So if you, if you want to take first pass, now, I, think, uh, I think you've earned this one. Okay. So I think, and I talked a little bit about this on the, in all kinds of weather pod that I, I guess it on. And I, I mean, I think one thing they've got to do, and it's, a, this actually is an Eric Fawcett point, but I've kind of taken it and, and polished it up a little bit. And I think, uh, I think scheduling smart, you know, like don't go play a neutral floor game against a really great program in December and then schedule a tricky mid-major at home right before that. Like, so schedule smart. Um, you know, there's not a huge problem with playing some buy-in games if you're going to play the type of big-time out-of-conference games that Florida has always played under White. Yeah, is it good to get those on your home floor? Yeah, but every other year you're guaranteed one in the SEC Big 12 Challenge. So really you just find one in the other years and you have two and, and every other year you're guaranteed another one with Florida state, as long as you're going to keep playing that game. Um, so, you know, and I would, by the way, which maybe that, that is where Eric can chime in. Would Eric Fawcett keep playing Florida state? But I think those are my two big ones is, is schedule smart. I also think there's an argument to be made. Tony Agolini has made it on, uh, on Twitter. Some other folks that I've talked to have made it you know, Scott Strickland, just doing something with one of the sections low to make sure that students are there and it's a little louder because the new suite seating and buffet and all that stuff has definitely taken a little bit of the bite out of the Odom, at least on one side. And I think it's not as loud as it used to be with the new seating. Um, but I do think some of that's just the basketball, quite honestly. Like if, if Florida was playing better, it still gets plenty darn loud. When Florida erased a 20-point deficit against Alabama a year ago, it was a madhouse. So, um, you know, some of it is how are you playing. But I think I think that's the main thing. And then you're going to have letdown games. Like I talked about this, and I think Shulman might have disagreed with me. Like a lot of college teams lose, Eric, after they've been ranked or after they have a huge emotional victory like Florida did at West Virginia. Then they come home and play somebody that plays a funky style like South Carolina, and they lost. That happens to a lot of programs. What Florida needs to stop doing is losing two of those a year. Yeah, it's a great point. I mean, and, and you kind of alluded to kind of what my thought is, and, and some of it is just like – I look at the way that they've lost some of these games at home and it's just games where it's like, wow, I just don't feel like they were particularly prepared for the way that South Carolina played or they weren't very prepared for how Missouri was going to play. And uh, those are the things that just obviously kind of 
are, are, are those big, are those bigger problems than just home culture? It's like, yeah, but if, but of course it's like, yeah, when you're playing in front of your, your home fans and things start to get quiet, those, those things just start to get um, even more noticeable. So uh, there's other, you know, I guess I'll call them problems with the, with the program there or, or kind of deficiencies that, that we've seen in terms of, uh, being able to change styles of play and 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 scout and be prepared, uh, and if they improve that, it's obviously going to help them on the road as well. But it'll help them uh, help them at home too. But I, I also think, like you said, they've got to make sure that uh, uh, that the student section is featured. Um, obviously, we don't know exactly how many fans are are going to be there next year. Hopefully, it's it's full. But uh, uh, yeah, let's we definitely need to get the the, the rowdies back to full if, if nothing else i think they the, the rowdies have to be at full capacity here because that that i think is going to be the, the biggest edge you have uh from florida standpoint and uh yeah maybe they've just got to stop serving um such good food there in the uh the buffet section because uh uh yeah having sat there once luckily uh when me and my wife were on our honeymoon um yeah the food there was pretty spectacular so uh you know for the diehards like myself it was come there you know 90 minutes early um get all your stuff and and, and make sure they're for for the for warm-ups and then then the opening tip but i know that's not kind of everyone's scene and um hey maybe that's all the culture that needs to be communicated to the people who um who occupy those seats um and that can be communicating communicated from from or or someone just to uh uh to make there are probably some people in there who realize what it's like when they don't sit down until after the first TV timeout. Um, yeah, there's there might be a few, but I bet there's a whole bunch of people who don't realize um, the when that section is you know a third full at, at opening tips. So so maybe that's something that could be communicated to them. Yeah, great question though. Um, so uh, the next question comes from uh, Twitter, and it is gonna be hold on sorry from Sinego ask besides Keontae Johnson who do you see as a presumed or necessary leader of the team next year with so many new uh perceived leader um I I, I think that's uh that's that's a great question I I I would love to see uh I would love to see that be Tyree Appleby for a couple of reasons first of all I think that you see uh just the point guard role in in basketball, having a uh, prototypical ball handler who can get you into sets, uh, who can put their teammates in, in the best position to win. Uh, it, it always kind of makes sense when your point guard is your leader. I'm not saying that needs to be the case 100% of the time, but if that happens to be the case, um, that's great. And I and I think that Tyree Appleby, especially with his ability to pass and his willingness to pass, um, that's a great spot for, for a leader to be in. And then I think you also add in the fact that he plays with so much tenacity and he plays with so much fire and um, which is almost the reason why, uh, well, I, I could have answered this. I don't want to steal maybe Neil's answer, but I think that Colin Castleton is, it would be a totally appropriate answer uh, as well because he has that kind of mindset and, and, and plays with so much intensity. But I think that that's something that so many people are, are hoping for from the Gators. Um, so I think, I think you you add in um, the personality of of Tyree Appleby, which is something that I think that Mike White would would love for a lot of guys to uh, to pick up, um, as well as the position Tyree Appleby plays uh, and his kind of unselfishness. Um, I would love to see love to see him be uh, really step up and, and take a leadership role. Yeah, I, I like all those those answers as well. And and one thing I really think we need from Colin Castleton is for him to to learn to keep his emotions in check and play with intensity, but but not play recklessly. Um, you know, I thought that 
the technical foul that, that got called on him in the Missouri game was very unfortunate, but uh, I thought there were uh, there was another game where you know I totally understood why he got a technical foul based on you know what he had done. Uh, so I think you know you kind of have to. He's got to learn to to bottle some of that intensity and emotion and and uh, play a little bit smarter. Quite honestly, another guy I think can definitely be a leader is Myron Jones, and and I met, I, I I note this because. You know, Myron has been a starter in a power six league for multiple seasons. And I think when you bring in that kind of talent, that kind of shooter, people are gravitate towards shooters generally. Um, and he's also a guy who, who should have played on the first Penn State team to go to the NCAA tournament in basically a decade. And COVID ruined that. I mean, they were a lock and potentially a top, what, five seed, Eric? Uh a season ago, you know, they were certainly going to be a six at worst, I think. Um, and, and COVID wipes out that. And then this year, 300 something in luck. Uh, and he's the best player on a team that's in the three hundreds in luck, which Florida fans can empathize with that a little bit, but um, you know, I, I think there's a chance for that. What I will say about Florida's leadership is I'm less worried about that next season with the most veteran team that Mike White will have ever had. And that's a good transition to Chahan Kai's question. How many uh, players are seniors next year, including the transfers? And like Eric right now looking at the sky, trying to do that math. Uh, <laughs> that's uh, that's all you need to know about how big the number is. Yeah. I mean, I, I didn't even like, <laughs> I don't know off the top of my head, um, but I mean, you've got obviously Kyrie Appleby. He's going to be in his fifth year. Um, then you've got Myron Jones. He's going to be a senior. Uh, Brandon McKissick, grad transfer. Um, Flandris Fleming, he was uh, – was he – I've got to look now. I, I'm just totally getting all my. Yeah, he was a senior. I was yes, fairly sure of that. Then obviously, um, Anthony Jerusi. He's going to be in his fifth year. Colin Castleton in his in his uh, fourth year. So uh, yeah, a whole lot of seniors. And I feel like I, I somehow missed one as I just run through the roster in my head. Um, but yeah, it's just it's just crazy to think about. Like you said, Neil, just like how uh, there should be plenty of leaders out there. And and the thing about basketball is like leadership is like, hey, if you're it, depending on how the offensive team comes down the floor, uh, there's positions where you need your you know weak side lowest defender. You need him to be a leader on that play. Uh, you need him to take control and be vocal. Or offensively, if it's a matchup you like, there, there there's times you need different guys to step up in, and and be leaders. And um, I, I just you look at all these uh, all these guys that are going to be in their fourth or fifth uh, years. Um, so many have already like gotten a degree and and are still in still in university. Uh, yeah, there's there's a whole lot of old dudes, and uh, I'm I'm with you, Neil. I'm less concerned about leadership than um, um, oh yes, and then Keontae Johnson, of course. Um, so uh, uh, yeah, whole whole lot of whole lot of veterans, and uh, I, yeah, I'm not super concerned about the leadership standpoint. I, I suppose. Um, Zach Ward, while I get our comment off the thing, Zach Ward asks uh, any update as to who you think Florida might go after for the last roster spot. I feel like this is like going to be the million dollar question of our next few shows. <laughs> yeah. Do you have Do you have any thoughts, Neil? Anyone that's uh, that you think they're going after right now? I mean, I still default to Eric's position that uh, there aren't really bigs in the portal um, that are necessarily takes in a perfect world. They 
take another power forward or a center just to have an insurance policy if something happened to Castleton. Um, you know, but I'd also point out that when you have roster scholarship limitations, every team in America, you could say, if this guy gets hurt, they're in trouble at some position. Um, almost every team in America, maybe not like Gonzaga, but like, you know, uh, even Gonzaga this year, like if Corey Kispert had been hurt, like I'm not, I think that they probably lose more than one game. Um, but anyway, we don't need to go down that rabbit hole. My point is that stuff happens. Uh, I think if they take a veteran, Eric, it's going to be a point guard. If they take a younger player, it's going to be a front court player. Yeah. I, the, the other thing too, is I was looking at a list that I forget who tweeted it out or I'd uh, give them credit, but like, the amount of players in the last two years that have entered the transfer portal after May 1st and been, you know, the, the amount of really good players that have entered the portal after May 1st, it, it is a very long list. There are a lot of players that are really good that are likely yet to hit the portal. And still, even today, you know, as we speak, I bet if I go and um, look at, I, you know, not that I have access to the actual transfer portal, but if I were to, um, you know, if I were to... Uh, refresh verbal commits and, and look at the players in the portal um, and, and see who's in there. Like I, I bet over the course of this podcast, there'll be a half decent player that goes in and that's not an exaggeration that that is probably going to happen. So uh, there's probably still a lot of really good players that are yet, yet to enter the portal. Um, I think today or yesterday, Altree Gilbert from Wichita state, formerly of UConn, a player who uh, Florida uh, recruited uh, or, you know, try or got in, got in touch with, I should say, um, after he was going to leave UConn. I think that's a pretty interesting player. I don't know if they're going to get in touch again. I don't know if he's someone that would be interested in coming to Florida. He'll be a sixth year player. I think that Florida, you know, they've got enough four and five year players. They need a sixth year guy. It's, it's, it's clear really. Um, so I'll treat Gilbert, um, someone who just reminds me so much of Casey Hill um, from the way that they were five stars who I uh, never fully, kind of reached their their heights that you would have expected out of high school a, a lot due to injury especially on Altariq Gilbert's side um but but that's um you know their offense kind of always betrayed them not good through Gilbert I, I love watching him hound ball handlers I think he's an outstanding point of attack defender um if he had any interest in coming to Florida uh, and splitting minutes with Tyree Appleby a point guard um I think that should be very interested yeah no i think that's a that's a good name and a good shout sarah and tampa bay are we diminishing the importance of trey man's departure for the nba <laughs> uh sounds like uh sounds like an astounding yes from the background of, of neil's podcast studio uh i really do think that people have taken trey trey man for granted uh and, and i think the biggest is uh again i think we, that we all love our love our depth um for sure on the gators you you love having multiple guys who can handle all and, and pass and shoot a little bit and initiate a little bit uh but the fact of the matter is you know it's not going to matter if florida's you know sixth and seventh and eighth ninth best players can dominate the other team six through nine players if uh, florida doesn't have the best player on the floor in the final minutes i i i shouldn't say that i mean that's not an absolute that's not 100 percent of the time in basketball but so often when it's tight at the end of games, the the best player on who's on the floor often wins the game, and I think that Florida um, 
I think that Florida, uh, we, we saw that in a couple of games where I don't know if Florida was the better team, but Trey Mann was the best player on the floor and Florida out executed the other team in the final minutes because they had the best shot maker. Um, and even if it wasn't just Trey Mann, there was definitely games where, you know, it was some combination of Trey Mann and Tyree Appleby were the two best shot makers. Uh, of course we get Tyree Appleby back, but Trey Mann was the better shot maker of the two. So, uh, I, I do think there's going to be games where, where Florida plays, well, I shouldn't say there's going to be games. I can really envision games where Florida plays 38 minutes of really good basketball against a really good team, and they're leading by two possessions in the final two minutes, and Florida ends up losing to a team with uh, an elite shot maker if the Gators don't have have one emerge and it's going to be one of the times where you know me and neil are going to come on the podcast we're not going to it's, it's not going to be like oh florida really dropped the ball here they made mistakes there it was just like wow they got uh they got beat by uh you know an nba caliber shot maker that i'm just not sure the gators have on their team so uh yeah there's a chance that uh there's a chance trey man's uh departures is uh yeah gonna gonna really hurt and i'm not sure everyone uh fully fully understands you know just how good trey man was yeah, how about the year SEC? How about the year uh, that strong SLSU team won the SEC championship? And, you know, they, they go one and two against Florida. And what happened in the game they won? I mean, Florida seemed like they they did what you would hope they would do. They, they guarded the inbound guy. They fought through a screen, you know. And it just – like LSU had Tremont Waters, and he just went coast to coast and scored in like four seconds. Like – what can you do, right? Um, and I think that that's kind of an extreme example, but it certainly happens sometimes. Um, so, you know, Florida will miss that. I do think that they will miss that aspect of Trey. They'll also miss his perimeter defense. It's something that we've talked about on the podcast. Unless Niles Lane plays more, they're going to miss his perimeter defense maybe even more than we initially thought. And we're having a, a frozen sing-along in the background of tonight's podcast. So you guys – you know, thanks for thanks for dealing with uh, a, a child that doesn't want to go to sleep. But in any event, um, you know, so I do think that those things are are going to be impactful. What I would say is that I still like my comparison of Arkansas. You know, I think older, much more balanced scoring team, um, and I think Kawasi Reeves is certainly a player who uh, is a little more game ready than Trey Mann was and a little more of the prototypical freshman star type of player than Scotty Lewis ever was going to be. Um, and I think the, that can benefit Florida. doesn't mean that Florida won't miss Trey terribly. Of course they will. Uh, he was the best player on the floor a lot of games. but um, And I can't say Florida will have that next year, but we'll see. Great question here from Tracy. Uh, does the lack of a full staff change how people commit or transfer here at all? That's a great question. I, I mean, I'd have to, uh, I'd have to ask players to to find out because I'd be genuinely interested. Because, again, for example, I, I mean, we've talked about on this podcast a couple of the, uh, a couple of these absolutely loading up with ridiculous coaching staffs, such as Texas. And Chris Deard is going to say, "Hey, uh, if if he's recruiting a kid, whether it's a recruit or a transfer, saying like, hey, we took the head coach of, of UT Arlington who was making eight hundred thousand dollars a year and was doing was winning at his job, and he came here, and you know, we've got guys that were head coaches that that aren't even in assistant coaching positions. Like, uh, it, that's what I'm certainly doing if I'm Chris Beard, and and or 
or a couple of these staffs that are just absolutely loading up with with coaching talent. Uh, so does that matter to like a 16 year old that you're recruiting? I'm not totally sure if like a 16 year old is going to be like, wow, that's a jack up staff at, at this one school versus versus another. I don't know exactly if 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 those recruits kind of understand that, but but maybe they do. I mean, uh, if if uh, you're a parent of a of a kid right now and uh, you want to know uh, who's going to be taking care of your of your kid for for a couple of years, uh, especially if it's someone from maybe not in the, the state or, or close by, I think you'd maybe want to have some indication of, of who's all going to be responsible for them and, and, and kind of all the coaches. So, so, so maybe it matters, but uh, maybe not. And I mean, again, for Florida, who has um, such an experienced roster right now and already has a bunch of older guys, I, I, I it, it maybe matters as much. Um, yeah. I don't really know how much it matters. I mean, like I, I can look at it and I guess other, you know, comparable programs have just like hired incredible coaches to, to fill these, these spots. You know, I can talk about that, but you know, I'm probably looking at it from a very different standpoint than a player. So um, I don't know. And, and to be honest, there's part of me that wants to ask the players I know of, this matter to because truly intrigued. Yeah, I, I think it's interesting. I do think that they, We'll probably at least make one more hire here pretty soon just because they are in a recruiting window from a like Zoom standpoint um, starting May 1st. So I think you at least want to – it's a lot for Al Pinkins and Mike White to do. And, yeah, they have support staff. Um, you know, Mike White has his personal assistant. Mike Roebuck uh, can do some of that stuff. So there's guys that can, can help, um, but – you know, you'd certainly like to, to be able to, to fill out your staff at least a little bit. Uh, they may also want to be very patient. Um, I don't think the coaching carousel is fully over until the NBA season kind of lurches towards a conclusion. Um, and, you know, maybe, maybe you hold one of those assistant spots. There's also an Olympic Games. Some guys you might be evaluating may have roles with USA Basketball. So um, there's – there's things going on there. I mean, there's all sorts of factors to, to consider. Um, but I do think filling out one of those spots at some point here in the near future is probably a pretty strong idea. A couple of listeners, including Kai Chauhan, who we've answered some of his questions tonight, uh, but also uh, Chips and Queso, Kevin Caruso, and obviously not his real name. Um, he, uh, they ask which newcomer will make the biggest impact immediately and which one will make the biggest impact long-term. I'll take a stab at this first and punt it over to Eric. I do think that the most impactful newcomer will be CJ Felder, at least in the short term. Um, I think that he while not giving Florida the Cavarius Hayes type of defensive presence. I think he will make Florida tenacious and much more tough on the glass uh, they won't have to, you won't go into games next year hoping that Florida's guards dig down and rebound well. Like I think Florida will control the glass much more than they did last year, and that will have an immediate impact on a team that's going to have pretty balanced scoring. Um, long term, I'm going to say Kwasi Reeves because I think he's a two year player, um, and I think he's a very impactful freshman that will either be like I, I'll just say it like I'm really high on the kid, so he shoots well. I don't think he's necessarily Moses Moody, but I think he has all SEC talent already. Um, it's going to be an adjustment competition-wise, uh, and I think that's important to point out. It's a point Eric's made in his articles. It's that you know his competition 
while probably a little bit better than what Scotty Lewis and those guys faced at Ranny consistently, there weren't the high level games that Scotty Lewis and those guys played. So it's kind of like, you know, mid-level Georgia basketball. Um, most of his high level competition is going to come from the AAU circuit. Uh, so, you know, how is that evaluated? But I think he's the long-term guy I would pick Eric. Uh, I think that short term, I'll say Myron Jones, just because I think you can kind of pencil him in for about the same amount of shots that that Noah Locke took, um, and there's a chance he hits them at even a slightly more higher percentage than than Noah Locke. I mean, you could look at his last year, if nothing else, comparable. So I think that you uh, you can kind of say, well, he's he's going to put up probably the most points of any newcomer. I, if if I had, I shouldn't say he's going to. I, I would probably guess that that might be you know if the if you know, if there was odds on it, I think that, uh, that Jones might have the, uh, you know, you know, the best odds. So I think that he's going to put up the most points, not that that obviously equals the most impactful right away. Um, but the thing is, you know, I, I'll say my answer for, for most long-term is DJ Felder. And the only reason I don't say short-term is because I think that there's a chance that uh, if Keontae Johnson is healthy, I think you're, you, Florida might be starting Keontae Johnson at the four and not CJ Felder. Um, and then you've got CJ Felder kind of playing for backup, you know, power forward minutes, which I think he would be, again, he's ahead of Anthony Druji in my depth chart, but he is certainly going to compete with Anthony Druji. Uh, and then he has some backup center minutes, which is, you know, still good. And he could have a big role. Um, but I don't think it's, you know, be, be mass. I, I just don't know if he's going to hit the raw amount of minutes to have the hugest impact. Um, so I say Felder just because, I think he's obviously ready to play and contribute in high major level. Uh, he's also someone who could also be around two years uh, or maybe, maybe more, but uh, you know, I, I honestly don't see him being around for, for more than two years. Um, so maybe Reeves is a more impactful player right away. And then um, reaches his ceiling, which is, is higher than CJ Feller's. There's, there's no question. Um, Reeves ceiling is, you know, one and done um, go to the NBA and be a, 30 point per game score. That's the ceiling for Reeves. He's just his ability to shoot the ball and score. Um, so maybe he reaches that, but I just see Felder as someone who's going to come in right away and arguably be the the best of the newcomers. I don't know if he's going to have the biggest impact just because of role, but I think he could very well be the best right away. And he could also be here for, for, you know, two or maybe three years. So um, that's, that's maybe why I'd say Felder, but uh, I have no, you know, with, with me being high on him, in the long term, and now I'm I'm totally uh, totally okay with you you calling him the most uh, the or the the most impact next year guy. I like it. Uh, Anthropocino, longtime listener, asked as a general question. I'd like to know what the players do to train to get ready for next season. Are they allowed to play in leagues? When can Preston Green start working them with them? When are their informal practices? The off season this year seems very important. I thought this was a great like last season review show question. Um, and the answer on Preston Green is summer A. Uh, so summer school at UF is divided into two sections, summer A and summer B. And they start Preston Green SZN uh, at the beginning of summer A. Uh, they can have informal practices starting in summer B. So that's the answer to that. Uh, in terms of what they do to train and get ready for next season, Maybe Eric can talk about that portion of the question because there's a bunch of different things they can do. 
Yeah, I, I think nowadays you see so many guys that have their personal trainers. Um, and hey, if you're if you're interested in who they are, you can follow any of the the Florida players on Instagram, and uh, you can get to know their trainers really well and, and what they're doing. But uh, I think you're seeing that so much. And again, um, I think that part of that is the culture of I think that players like to have their their individual skills guy. They like to be able to to pick those guys. Uh, and part of that is a just the fact that uh, the NCAA restricts. Um, uh, restricts access in the offseason to how many hours they can they can be with coaches and their, the times that they can be with coaches. So uh, you know what? If Brandon McKissick wanted to be putting up shots with Mike White right now, he would not be able to. That would not be allowed. Um, but McKissick can go and put up shots with whatever trainer he, um, he works with. So uh, I think that that is just so much more of a thing. Um, you know... <laughs> You know, side note with uh, with you know, I don't know if it'll be this summer, but if we get back to uh, uh, you know, the stories every year when these uh, Division One teams go up to Canada and play these Canadian university teams and and lose, and everyone's just like, wow, that's like crazy that like Indiana lost to to Carlton. Um, it's always funny because here in Canada, there, there there's no limit to uh, to when you can practice. Um, so 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 these teams are literally practicing year round. So it's, it was always funny to me when these teams like you know Ryerson or McGill would play uh, would go play Indiana and beat them, or when uh, when Carlton beat Mike Dom and uh, and South Dakota State by like forty. And it's like you know they'd been running two a days, five days a week for uh, for weeks. So so anyways, those days in Division One are just are, are are long gone. They they don't they don't happen. Um, and, uh, the other thing that's also a little bit of a bygone era, I would say mostly is, is the question about do these guys play in leagues? Uh, the, these guys playing in, in those summer leagues, uh, those don't really happen any, I shouldn't say they don't happen anymore, but you know, not as much of a culture of these guys, you know, pulling up to, uh, some of the really famous summer leagues and playing with pros playing with, you know, fringe NBA guys, NBA guys, you know, European pros who, you know, I'll, I'll come to Miami or, or I'll go to, to Venice beach and some of these like famous, uh, outdoor courts or, or high school gyms where, where they, where they run these kind of, you know, informal summer run leagues that are, that are awesome. You just don't see that as much anymore. Um, guys aren't as interested in doing that. They'd rather be with their trainers largely. Um, I think that there's teams that would rather not see, uh, might rather see their guys working with their trainers versus playing in these, you know, games that, that, that might, might injure themselves. So uh, as, as much as I do love the days where it was like, Oh, here's DeMar DeRozan and Nick young in, in Los Angeles. And they're playing with like, you know, the best 16 year olds and uh, five-star recruits. Uh, those days are, are, are mostly past. I think they were pretty cool. And maybe we see those again someday, but uh, right now I think it's a whole lot of players with their trainers in empty gyms. Um. Tracy asked, do you think Mike White was expecting to lose both assistants? Uh, I, I I would say so. Um, I think that uh, when you have multiple summers in a row of uh, these both both Mincy and, and Nichols with both of their conversations in, in multiple head coaching searches, uh, I think that there's a good chance that uh, that he kind of knew that I don't know if he knew for sure this would be the year the guys would go, but I, I think they're at the point where he, you know, might be expecting it, um, at least with some some level of certainty. Um, especially with the Jacksonville job opening, that it seemed like uh, Nichols, or sorry, that that Mincy was right ready to take. Uh, I think that uh, I I think that that one they they probably saw coming. Did you know that you know did they know that Radford was going to open one of the jobs that Darius Nichols would would certainly go for? You know, I'm not sure because uh, uh, the, the way that that whole search went down with uh with with their coach leaving for Greensboro because because Wes Miller left for Cincinnati and all and 
all that. It's like, you know, that was a, that was a series of events that that was a true carousel maneuver. It was a domino that led to a domino that led to a domino with Radford opening. And then, and then Nichols went. So I don't know if they saw that one coming as much. Um, but I'd say, you know, it seemed like Nichols was, was, or sorry, with, with Mincy, it was kind of a deal um, with Nichols. But I think that white was, you know, ready to kind of ready to kind of lose him at any time now. I yeah, I mean, I think the Mincy departure was very much expected and the Nichols departure was inevitable. And if it came a year early, it came a year early. And I think maybe that's what happened. But uh, obviously thrilled for both of those guys uh, here as, as we move forward. Um, the next question, I oh, think – You know, let's not actually jump in. I got to jump in, Neil. But uh, the first uh, – I, I realized I just tweeted about this before the show, but I wanted to mention on the podcast. And, uh, uh, you know, I was thinking about uh, about Nichols and, and Mincy and the, the fact that they're uh, – they went to – that are uh, places that I know that there's a lot of Florida fans, uh, Gator fans, obviously uh, in Jacksonville and, and near Jacksonville. I also know from just, you know, knowing people on, on, on Twitter from the Virginia area, uh, knowing some of the location data from, uh, from Gator country. I know there's some people near Radford and I just think, um, you know, a great sign of, of a pre these two coaches did at Florida um, and a kind of show of support for, for the next stages in life. I, I think it'd be great if, if some people in those areas, if, if you had the opportunity uh, to go to a Radford or a Jacksonville game this year, I think you absolutely sign of support for, for these coaches in their next uh, coaching journeys. And I think coming off the year that obviously we all had, you know, that was uh, probably pretty rough on, on Radford and, and Jacksonville's programs. I don't know for sure how they're doing. I mean, you know, I'm definitely no, you know, Darren Ravel. I, I really swung and missed on the the guessing how much Darius Nichols and Jordan Mincy made last year. Uh, so what do I know about these, uh, you know, collegiate athlete business, but I can't imagine that, uh, that this year was particularly kind to a school like Radford or, or a school like Jacksonville. So uh, you can't, get tickets yet but uh i did the uh, the good old-fashioned i called the ticket office talked to the uh the the marketing guys at both uh both programs uh sorry marketing guy and marketing girl um so i found out that yeah radford general admission tickets are 12 bucks jacksonville they're 10 bucks uh both places have ample parking and uh radford actually has season tickets for only 60 bucks i thought that was pretty pretty cool so um i would just really uh yeah i i would say that if you have the opportunity you're in the area of jacksonville or radford uh i think it'd be really cool if you could um support uh support Darius nichols support jordan mincy um support two programs um that could probably use a couple extra tickets sold in this upcoming season um and you could obviously see some great basketball i mean hey i'm someone who after this year i'm like just like cannot for any live events whether it's uh whether it's basketball whether it's concerts whether it's performances um i'm gonna be down for whatever if you're the same way um you're looking for basketball to watch uh go to radford game go to a jacksonville game there's my pitch that's a great pitch i'm gonna add fau to that um not because you know uh dusty's been gone a while um now but certainly integral to mike white's elite eight team uh, and FAU needs people in the gym and a lot of people in South Florida that can't always make the trip up to Gainesville. If you want to go see college basketball uh, and you want to see a what I still think is a very up and coming coach, just had his best season, um, you know, in a, in a fun little arena, uh, FAU arena is, is fun. It's they, they fit 3000 in there. It's pretty loud. You can get a general admission ticket for 15 bucks. And like Eric said, they too have ample parking and it's conference USA. So there's some reasonably decent teams in that league. 
Um, and and you can you can catch a pretty good basketball game. Uh, I did I get the conference wrong? I might. No, I just was pointing out like you know how I said that I just think that that Boca is the most beautiful place that I've ever been <laughs> visited for. Yeah. Uh, but one thing I love about the Florida Atlantic court or the, how they've got the, uh, how they've got the motto and the, the, the winning in paradise. I think that's like the best pitch for Florida Atlantic. Um, it's on their social media stuff as well, but I saw, you know, I just the other day I went and just pulled up a Florida Atlantic game to, to watch it. Cause I was missing basketball and I just on that corridor, they have winning in paradise or win in paradise, whatever, whatever it is. I, I just think that's a, that's an awesome pitch. And just when you mentioned the Florida Atlantic court, I'm like, yeah, that's gotta be, you know, and, and what you were talking about earlier, uh, recruiting some of these guys to Florida, uh, to the state of Florida, um, I, I just I, I would love if Dusty May just you know really leaned into the the, the winning in paradise thing because Matt and there. Yeah, I think he did, and I got the league right. It is Conference USA, and, and and make sure to check it out. There's only I think it's it's one of the three best arenas in that league. Just from watching some of that league on TV, uh, Old Dominion plays in a place called the Chartway Center, which is fantastic. Um, and uh, just super fun, and like the students are like on top of the court pretty much, and uh, it, it's really loud. So I'm a big fan of Old Dominion, and then of course uh, UTEP um, plays in the Don Haskins Center. And um, anybody that is familiar with UTEP and their history and tradition, uh, it's difficult to cheer for. It's difficult to not cheer for UTEP um, as the first team with a, a black starting five to win the NCAA championship um, back when they were Texas Western and, and the arena named after him. And they play in a, it's really a palace that they never fill sadly because uh, it's a, they build it a little too big, but um, a great, a great gym. Um, so anyway, there's our plug for mid-major basketball on, on Florida basketball hour and, and your opportunity to support that. Um, a couple of Mike White questions before we finish with the player rankings, because I think um, it's fair in the final season review show to do a couple of Mike White questions. And I know I just did an hour plus of them, um, but I promise these aren't going to be as uh, hard hitting. I don't think. Um, Dom Rivato thanks us for being fair uh, and for being balanced and not diving into hot takes. And he says, it seems like you guys have reasonable questions about Mike White, but altogether in the end, support White. Is there anything he could do next year that would convince you he's the man for the job? Um, I'll start on that. Like, you know, I think Eric and I, I I'm not going to speak for Eric. I'm going to let Eric answer this question on his own. But I think one thing we have said collectively is Florida should do better in a couple different areas. And one of them is they should play better at home. And if they play better at home, they're going to compete for the SEC championship. And I would like to see Florida do that next year with a veteran team that I see as a very balanced team. And I think if Keontae Johnson uh, plays, Florida should absolutely compete for the SEC championship with this team. And I think I'd be disappointed in white if that didn't occur. Um, and then you'd be looking at year seven, where he's had all different types of teams and not competed for the SEC except for twice, really. Um, and those were his second year and his third year when Florida finished two games out in both those seasons. I mean, I don't think, you know, when you get past that, Eric, it becomes, I think, harder to to wonder, you know, is he 
lurches towards the end of that contract extension. So that would be my answer. Play better at home, compete for an SEC championship. Yeah, I mean, I know we uh, just said we don't want to divulge into hot takes, but I've got to deliver this one. Um, something that you just referenced with UTEP slash Texas Western. Um, Glory Road is the best basketball movie ever made. Um, I just got to throw that out. So there. good. I don't so know. good. I don't know how hot that is. I know people push back, but I think Glory Road is, is the best basketball movie. And uh, we'll, we'll see how that, how hot of a take that is to with the, the responses. But, you know, in terms of Mike White, uh, what would really give a positive turn um, or, you know, really increase my confidence? Uh, I, I guess maybe two things. The, the, the first thing I think of is he's really got to get back to having an elite defense because that really was his calling card. And if he can't hang his hat on, you know, at least – one thing um that's the thing that kind of makes you lose a little bit of confidence when he was someone who is like you know our identity is is playing fast and playing great defense and they don't play fast and they don't don't play great defense uh well that's one way that you kind of you know lose faith in in, in someone so uh so i would love to see uh mike white you know really getting back to, to having a really good defensive team and and you know what like i don't think that that's going to be necessarily an, an easy task because I don't think Terry Appleby's a great defender. I don't think Myron Jones is a great defender. Um, I know that, uh, you know, Brandon McKissick and, um, and Flanders were, were all defensive players. I think they're good defensive players. I, I think that they're not awesome defensive players. And, um, you know, I don't think this is a team full of, you know, poor defenders, but I don't think it's chock full of great defenders. So I, I don't think it's going to be necessarily an easy task um, to get this team to defend at a really high level. So if they do, um, that would be something that I would be like, okay, like we're getting back to the days where Jalen Hudson at the four was, you know, still had a top 15 defensive team. That was the Mike White that, uh, you know, we had a little bit more faith in back then. And, um, and then the other thing too, and this is probably, you know, the hire is going to potentially make a, a big impact here. Um, I would also just see Florida adapt greatly offensively and get a lot better offensively uh, just to be in, in year six and, and still trying some of the same stuff that didn't really work in year one. Uh, yeah. That's something that maybe hurt my trust in, in, in Mike White as a coach um, to show some changes there and to show major growth there. Um, that would definitely be something that also um, really kind of increases my, my faith in, in, in what, and, and where the program's headed. So, uh, yeah, I would love to see him get back to what really was his identity, um, get him back to something that he can really hang his hat on with uh, with the defense, and then hopefully just show improvement in a whole different way um, by uh, by diversifying the offense and playing in a new way. Yeah, I think those are all excellent points, and that kind of answers both the, the white questions that we had, which were really just about future-leaning and, and forward-looking um, so let's finish player grades of, of returning players. Um, won't spend much time on the transfers. They've all, we've talked about them and, and wish them well, um, but I don't think I'm going to spend too much podcast time grading their seasons, given that they've elected to go elsewhere. Uh, Anthony DeRuji, for me, I'm giving him a C minus. Um, I didn't see anything necessarily, you know, egregious from, from Anthony. Uh, but I, I just think he's capable of playing better. Um, you know, we saw flashes of, of what he can do very well uh, at times, and then we really saw a couple games where he, he did, in fact, play poorly and, like, was on the floor for six minutes, and they sat him down the rest of the game. Um, you know, so I'd like to see some consistency, uh, especially just kind of understanding who he is as an offensive player and understanding his – 
just ridiculous athleticism probably makes him more prone to just attacking the glass. I'd love to see him get in the gym and work on his free throw shooting because I do think he's a guy that can get fouled at a pretty high clip if he plays the way he should offensively. Um, and then, you know, defensively, uh, I mean, here's a hot take. He's an honor student and graduate of the University of Florida. Like, defend smarter. You're obviously a smart kid. <laughs> um, and, and if I were his coach, you can bet your bottom dollar I would be mentioning that. <laughs> yeah, I love that. I, I, I mean, kind of in my interpretation of the – letter grades and this could be wrong i don't know but i mind i would say if if a player was a c that is like a c grade would be like average kind of sec replacement level player uh anthony drugi i think was replacement level sec player i i think he was below the average um player in, in his role so for me it's got to be a c minus as well i don't think he was quite bad enough to be a d though we definitely saw some d performances from him and probably more d performances than than b or b plus performances uh but yeah i think i think you nailed it with c minus i think he was a kind of a below uh below average you know replacement level sec player i i one thing he kind of did really well was was offensive rebound, which was which was great. But uh, he wasn't like you know a ridiculous offensive rebounder. And then we just saw you know he had troubles with turnovers, he had trouble with shot selection, he had trouble hitting open shots. And uh, I I just feel like he never totally leveraged his athleticism, and and some of that's on the offensive end. But I'd say it's more so on the defense end. And it's it's kind of interesting. Like like you know Pons was just like absolutely ridiculous athlete like I, I think he was the most athletic player in college basketball last year um how far off um from from Eve Pond is 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 Anthony Deruji I, I don't know how far off he is he's definitely not the same level but he's somewhere in the same stratosphere and man Pons was just an absolute it was on the ball whether it was as a help defender wasn't even a help defender whether he was just you know digging down from a position where he wasn't even needing to help he just seemed to be everywhere defensively and, and was so impactful on that end. And I, I see that. And I'm just, I, I feel like Daruji could be 75% or 80% of that. And that would be awesome. But I feel like he was maybe like 50% of that. So definitely areas to grow. In. And like you said, Neil, I, I, I do think he is just truly better than what he showed. I don't think that we're, it, we're, we're asking him to make some kind of leap or, or jump. I think we're just asking him to, to hopefully get uh, back to the level of, of, of what he was in his second year at Louisiana tech. So um, if there's some, you know, really surprise, next year it could very well be Anthony Deruji but I think that uh, looking at the letter last year I think it's got to be a C minus Tyree Appleby uh Tyree Appleby I'll go uh I'll go I'll go B minus I would say um again I using my my unofficial system of 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 C would be the the average kind of replacement level player in the SEC I do think he was better than that I think that we we saw you know a little bit of a shot making but but not even all the shot making that I think he you know potentially could show and and maybe not even all the passing ability that he he always showed uh but I do think that he provided some really timely timely shot making some really timely bursts of energy. And I think that that um, really elevated things uh, and kind of made up for, you know, the times where he was a little bit turnover prone and also maybe uh, was a little bit of a liability on defense. So for me, I'll go B minus. I'm going to go B minus too, because I think, you know, it, 
It's one thing to be a liability on defense and not make big plays on defense. It's another thing to be a liability on defense and be like Irving Walker and make a huge steal almost every game that results in a bucket where you kind of negate at least one of the baskets where you're just beaten on. Um, and the other thing I like about his defense is because he competes so much defensively, he's a pest and he gets in people's heads and rattles other teams. And I think a lot of that he does on the defensive end, not on the offensive end. So um, I, I love his competitiveness. I love how much he loves basketball and you can tell how much he enjoys playing. I don't love the turnovers. And I was a little bit dis, disoriented by them, Eric, because his numbers like I understand that it's the horizon league, but that's not a bad mid-major league. And I mean, he was at 39.4, 37.1 in assist rate, uh, over 10 points more than his turnover rate over 18 more than his turnover rate as a, as a sophomore at Cleveland state, he sits out a year and he has an assist rate with a number lower than his turnover rate. Um, that's not that good. And, and I think he's a better passer than that. I think he's capable of making better decisions with the basketball than that, even adjusting to the, to the jump and competition. And so I think that's got to improve next year. And it's why it's not just a straight B for me. Cause he had, he had some a games for sure. Um, you know, where he was flat out a difference maker. Um, but, but, you know, he also had these games where he would make, the mystifying bad play. Um, and he's going to have to cut some of those out next year because there isn't Trey Mann uh, to, to kind of counterbalance that. Well, I think, too, a lot of the Tyree Appleby turnovers were a little bit of a product of when Florida was just kind trying to space things out, get a ball screen, and, and have guys create one-on-one. Um, or, you know, maybe get a little bit downhill from a screen and roll and – try to make something happen. Um, I feel like, yeah, he definitely had some great moments kind of with those uh, situations where he was able to freelance. But at the same time, I think he's probably someone that would benefit a little bit more from, from playing out of some structure a little bit and, and getting to really use his, his vision and passing ability. Cause yeah, he was the guy who kind of got in trouble by catching himself in the air. Um, not real, not thinking about where his, uh, his pass is going to go. And then he has to get rid of it before he hits the ground or, um, or he was someone who got the ball ripped from him a lot just because the, the, the shot clock was winding down and he's like, okay, well I'm going to go create. So I do think he's someone who would benefit from a little bit more structure and uh, getting the chance to use the the pure passing ability because we know he can make those passes. We know he can read a help defender and hit a skip pass to a shooter. We know that he can hit a roller. We, we know he can make the passes. So uh, I think for him, it's just uh, he'll be very interesting in the context of whatever offense we, uh, we see Florida running this upcoming season. Yeah, great stuff, Eric. Um, so the next guy is Jason Jatobo. I'm going to – we've – okay, so I guess we – Eric gave a hot take earlier. I'm going to go hot take on this. <laughs> F. That is my Jason Jatobo hot take. F. Um, why F and not incomplete or D? Uh, speaking of players, I just think are better at basketball. Um, I really do just think Jason Jatobo is better, like, and some of this is – I have a one advantage that Eric didn't have in the pandemic is that I did start going to live sporting events masked up and terrified. But um, 
you know, I saw some Gator basketball games this year. I saw Jason Jatobo in warmups. I saw him catch and turn and shoot. And I saw his soft hands and his feet. And I just don't understand how he cannot put himself in a position to get in shape and be an impactful college basketball player. Uh, Eric and I talked about this just so you guys get a little insight into this. So you understand this isn't just me doing a hot take for hot take sake. We talked about how Jatobo might be a really interesting guy had he entered the portal. Like I think there are power six programs that would have been interested. It wouldn't have been a quest Glover OCO CFO situation. Um, Eric, I think he would have transferred to another power six school. Um, and I think, you know, the staff loves his skill set. That's a fact. Um, had those conversations and one of those staff members is gone now, but they love his offensive skill set. They love the fact that they think he can be explosive if he gets in shape um, and just really hard to guard. Uh, and it's kind of hard to think about because we haven't seen any of that. And for that, I award Jason Jatobo an F. Yeah, I, I mean, it's interesting. I know our, you know, our good friend Malik is someone who, uh, in private conversations or DMs, I should say, has been someone to kind of defend Jason Jatobo when, when, when someone like like me, for example, has has called out his kind of conditioning and the fact that he just maybe hasn't put himself in a position where he can be on the floor. And Malik is always quick to point out the injuries that he's that he's had, which is you know totally fair. And and those injuries were huge setbacks. I still think like there's there's way. Still keep yourself in shape, get ape, and and kind of be prepared. I mean, he had cups of coffee in a lot more games than I kind of realized. Like, if you would have asked me, uh, you know, I think I looked at it like a week ago. If you would have asked me two weeks ago, how many games did Jason Jatobo get into? I probably would have said five or six, just kind of based off my memory. And then you look at it, and he got into twelve. Um, I think twelve. Uh, and, and some of those games were, I mean, you know, Virginia Tech, he has two fouls in a minute. Um, that was kind of the case in a couple other games where he comes in, um, misses an assignment, uh, commits a foul, uh, can't stay on the floor. The one game he did play a bunch in Tennessee, I think the Florida would have loved to have given him more minutes, but he didn't have, you know, his cardio and and fouling was where he could get in the game. So, yeah, I, I still kind of put a little bit of that blame on him and the fact that he couldn't be in better shape and, and a little bit more prepared, even though I do understand that, like, he's had some serious setbacks with injuries, and that's super tough for someone with his build. Um, but, yeah, there's, there's, there's times that, you know, he also got into 12 games, which means he was presumably healthy enough, cleared, all ready to, to play in those basketball games. And, uh, yeah, it didn't always go super well. So, um, I, I think I would say, you know, D, I guess maybe I'll give him, uh, maybe I can't go this hot take enough to go, to go F, but I totally see where you're coming from. All right. So that's, I mean, that's not great to get a D and an F. Uh, it's gotta be better next year from, from <laughs> big daddy J, I think. Um, and that gets us to the last two, which is the, the last freshman class. We'll start with your boy, uh, Samson Resensev. Uh, Samson Rusensev, uh, um, I would also give I would give Samson Rusensev a D. Um, another player who, uh, again, I, I totally understand that it was t totally tough the scenarios he was put in where he had to come into games um, ice cold, put up a couple three point shots, and if they didn't fall, um, uh, he's probably back to the bench in, in a lot of situations. But uh, yeah, while that while that's tough, that's also a, a little bit of basketball NBA levels you you got to be able to come in ready and, and make shots. Um, I also think that uh, I, I, 
again, body, it's, it's a little bit interest, like interesting that the way that we interpret these, I guess, whether we go bot just total body of work or like relative to what we kind of know about their games, but you know, was a guy who is pretty bouncy and pretty athletic. And I just don't feel like we, we really saw him, him utilize that, whether it was rebounding, whether it was finishing hot, finishing strong in the paint, whether it was, uh, you know, shooting passing lanes or, or playing in that zone when he did get in playing the top of it. Um, yeah, I just, I, I think there's a lot more to give from him. And I feel like, uh, while it was definitely a tough situation for him to, to um, some, uh, so I'd give a D. Yeah, I'm going to give him a D as well. Um, I did think he improved a little bit defensively when they put him on the floor. Uh, so it keeps him from from the failure category of Jatobo. Um, I, I did think he um, – they certainly put him in quite a bit. You know, if you go back to the January 16th game – really the January 12th game against Ole Miss – uh, where he came in and hit a big three and, and played okay. Uh, he played over five minutes in almost every other game except for that and then only played two minutes in the NCAA tournament. So when it got time to who do you trust in the NCAA tournament, they didn't play him, but they played him more than five minutes a game in the rest of the season, all, uh, all but for one game. And it was really to see if a great shooter could get out there and, and hit shots. And, you know, I was disappointed to not see him, like, attack closeout really with his athletics and with his athleticism, like to settle for threes or to take a step in and take a jump shot instead of just going at the basket. Um, you know, that's not what I saw on recruiting film and, and I'm hoping that uh, it'll be better next season. We close with our boy, Niles Lane. I'm going to give him an incomplete. Um, <laughs> and I think this is fair. I think this is fair. I, I, look, I mean, I just don't know how I assign a grade to somebody that played 83 minutes. If I had to assign a grade, you know, I don't know. I don't know what – I really don't know what I'd give him. I, like, I don't like the fact that he had the lowest uh, expected field goal percentage on the basketball team by, like, 20 points. You know, like, that's not great. Um, but then again – there wasn't somebody within 0.3 of him as a primary ball defender. So like, what do you do with that? And I think that's a question the staff's got to figure out this summer. Um, meanwhile, you know, I know what Niles Lane is doing. He's, he's in a gym, he's in a gym getting up shots and trying to figure out, you know, if he can make his jump shot enough to be a, a consistent contributor offensively. Cause I think he can attack the glass off the bounce. Yeah, I, I mean, I think we also have to just kind of maybe give the caveat of like, you know, these letter grades are, are just, you know, looking at their passes and not all reflecting what we think that they are going to be moving forward. I still love Samson or Sensev and think he's going to be a, a really solid player. Um, so, Agreed. you know, I give him a D, but that's, I'm still, ve- I'm still very, still very glad he's a Gator. Um, glad he's uh, on the roster and, and I'm looking forward to seeing what, what he does. So, um, you know, using that same kind of uh, thing, I, I will give Niles Lane a grade and I'll say he's a C plus. 
Um, again, looking at uh, kind of C as your replacement level SEC player, uh, I think that uh, Niles Lane's defense was that he was slightly better than a replacement level player. I, I think you could argue he was like an A uh, defender. Um, I do think he was probably a, a D offensive player, uh, which maybe should balance out to something you know better than a C plus. But but I'll give him a C plus. I, I do think um, while his minutes were were low and could certainly warrant an incomplete uh, in those minutes he showed he was a very good defender uh, a well above average sec defender um and uh again another guy who had kind of like resensitive came into some tough situations comes on the floor uh gets an open shot sometimes that shot fall oftentimes it didn't for him and then sometimes he went to the bench and, and didn't play again and, and sometimes those minutes after he was cold for an hour first shift in the second half or something like that um but uh but i i i i think his uh uh, his D puts him as a slightly slightly above average replacement level player. So C plus for me. Fair enough. I, you know, can't argue with any of these grades. Um, really. Uh, I just, I think it was hard for me with, with less than a hundred minutes, I guess, but I guess if I <laughs> had thought about, it, I'm fine with C plus there. Um, I think that's, that's more than more than fair. Um, and again, I still think a guy that needs 15 minutes or so per contest next season, just because of, how good he is defensively and Eric isolated some of the reasons that they're going to need him at times next year. Cause you know, yeah, like I feel like they got a little better defensively this off season, but um, that little better is on a flawed defensive roster. Um, now if Keontae Johnson is healthy, then, you know, Florida has a chance to be really good on defense uh, in my opinion, but we will see. Uh, how how all that turns out. It's been a great show. It's been a great season review series. Uh, we will turn the page on season three of Florida Basketball Hour and begin season four of Bas- Florida Basketball Hour next week. Um, we thank all of you for listening, and I hope you guys enjoy the National Football League draft. Bye-bye, everybody. <laughs>